Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again to the Thrive Theology Podcast. Today, Emily and I are going to be talking about covenants. We're going to be talking about covenants in the Bible, um, different covenants that God made with different people. We'll be talking about how Christians look at those specific covenants and how they apply to us now, some of the history of that, and we hope that you will enjoy this information. We're going to start out with what is a covenant? Um, Now, the funny thing about this is that covenant is a word that we don't really use in modern day very much. Basically, the only way that our world talks about covenant is in terms of a marriage agreement to people who get married. Sometimes like we'll call it a covenantal marriage. We're entering into the covenant of marriage. And even and, then only in like a religious yeah, ceremony. Rarely is it in a secular ceremony at all. Mm-hmm. That's like the only way we use this word covenant. Um, but the Bible, it's pretty common because back in Bible times, the way that you would make an agreement with somebody was through a covenant. I mean, it could be between two people. It could be between two countries. could be between two businesses. Um, Some examples that we have from the Bible. In 1 Kings chapter 5, King Solomon and King Hiram of Tyre made an agreement, um, a covenant agreement, for Hiram to supply the timber, which was cedar and cypress wood, for Solomon to build the temple. Now, in this chapter, 1 Kings 5, basically it's like, the Lord has blessed me and he's allowed me to do this. And King Hiram is like, praise be to the Lord for allowing you to do this. I'm so glad that you are king. Um, Which is neat to see them talking back and forth. And then, so Solomon paid for the timber and sent workers to aid in the process and King Arm supplied supplied the lumber. And that's talked about as a covenant process. Sorry, I'm just going to cut in. I think also Solomon supplied some cities from Galilee, like he gave him some towns. Oh, really? And then King Hiram was like, these are ugly. (laughs) And he like renamed them something that was not, <laughs> it's like a, it translates to something in Hebrew. So they kept the Hebrew word in the translation I was reading. So I don't know what it means, but I'm imagining it's not, um, flattering. Yes. Yeah. It's not a flattering. <laughs> it's like, and this area is called whatever to this day, you know, how it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. anyway, that kind of made me laugh. He's yeah. like, he's like, you gypped me on the cities, but anyway. And then another example we have is David and Jonathan. Um, made a covenant between themselves to be faithful to their friendship and to their love for each other. No matter what Jonathan's father, the later to be evil King Saul did, these two would be faithful to each other and to their covenant friendship, which I just think is so beautiful. I love going back and learning about that friendship. Yeah. And we see that generations later, as we keep reading on how David treats Jonathan's sons with special honor and that kind of thing, simply because of who their father is. So like that covenant was, it lasted through beyond Jonathan's life and throughout David's whole life as well. Mm-hmm. So a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties, usually sealed with a ceremony um, and sometimes also sealed with some sort of sign of the covenant. So the agreement is very, very serious. And in the strictest cases, the ceremony would include a reference to death if either party reneges on the promise. So as we're going to see in Abraham's story, which we'll get to in a little bit, the ceremony had two parties walking between a row of slaughtered or halved animals. So the implication is that if one of them breaks his promise, he will suffer the consequence that the animals had, which is being cut in half. 
So then we have two different kinds of covenants. We have conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. A conditional covenant is dependent on human action or obedience in order for the blessings or curses to be applied. So this would be like, if you obey, then you'll prosper. If you disobey, you will be sent into exile and lose your land. An unconditional covenant is a covenant that God will keep regardless of how humans respond. So an example of this one would be like the, um, the flood. God promised to never again flood the earth regardless of what humans do. Um, and that is not dependent on our behavior or our choices or how we live, thankfully, because we have sinned a lot since then. Um, so now we're going to talk about some covenants in the Bible. The first one is the Edenic Covenant or the Eden Covenant. This is the first covenant that God made with humans. It is a conditional covenant relying on Adam and Eve's actions. We're going to read here from Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, which say, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. In this passage, God gives Adam a set of instructions and commands. It is assumed that Adam would have told Eve of this conversation, being that it was the only real restriction that God had given. When Eve is tempted by the serpent, she does recount these words, albeit with the addition of touching the tree also being prohibited. We read that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, which say, Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So they are well aware of the command and the consequences. Now, breaking the Edenic covenant came with the punishment of death, which would be loss of everlasting life rather than immediate death. Clearly, while Adam and Eve did not die physically, they were cast out of the garden and away from God's presence. They died spiritually and brought sin into the world. There are other theories that their lives would now end in death rather than to go on forever. A barrier was placed between mankind and their maker, but not without the promise of redemption. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So that was a very quick covenant. Um, and it was ended very quickly because... Adam and Eve broke it very quickly. But it did set the pattern for later covenants and how the new covenant would be laid out. Next, we have the Noahic covenant or the covenant of Noah. We find this in Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Um, it's a bit longer and you're probably familiar with this passage, but I think it would be helpful for us to read through it anyway. It says, Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants, and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will the flood waters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. 
Never again will the flood waters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. So this passage details God's provision and promise in the midst of judgment on sin. Noah had already demonstrated his faith in God's promises by obeying him and building the ark and bringing the animals on and everything else that went along with that. So now God promises to never again destroy the earth with a flood. As the passage mentioned, this covenant is between God and all the living creatures on earth. So this means that it's unconditional. Nothing that humans do or don't do can make or coerce God into destroying the earth with another flood. It's dependent completely on God's faithfulness alone, not ours. And because of that, we can be certain that it will be upheld. Um, And it's important here to just note that God did not say he would never destroy the earth, just that he would not do it with a global flood. And we see this in 2 Peter 3, verse 10. Um, And this is talking about when Christ comes back a second time. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Um, So this passage also doesn't say that the earth will be destroyed, but we do know that the earth will not remain the way it is um, and that when the new heavens and the new earth come into place, the earth will be completely redeemed and restored um, and made so much better than it is right now. this covenant was sealed with a visible sign, the rainbow. Now in the passage, God puts his rainbow in the sky and he says it's to that whenever he sees it there, whenever he puts his own rainbow on the sky, he will remember his promise. And that's beautiful because we as humanity can also look that, look at that and be reminded of God's promise to never do it again. Like it's a reminder that God is remembering his promise. Yeah. Like it's not even like, it's not like we are like, Oh, that reminds us that God won't break his promise, but it's actually bigger than that. Like it reminds us that God is reminding himself. Yeah. Like we don't have to do anything to actually remind God. He's reminding himself. And I remember as a kid, like rainbows used to be this very mystical, magical thing. And I didn't really understand them, but they were in like TV shows a lot. And like, apparently we're supposed to draw them to learn the colors. And it was like, I read, of course, I knew this passage. I was like, oh, rainbow, so beautiful. So now as an adult, I know it's light shining through the individual droplets, creating the prism of colors. And it's like, you can look at it very scientifically. And you can look at it so scientifically that you forget that um, you can look at it as only a process of like a natural process. Mm-hmm. But this reminds me of the passages in Job when God is telling about how he sustains all the functions of the earth and the living creatures. God is the one who makes the earthly conditions for beautiful rainbows, along with every other earthly cycle and process. Now, I personally, I love looking at the sky and the clouds and recognizing God's creative genius and power in that. Like, yes, it is light shining through drops of water hanging in the sky, but can you do that? Because I like God is the one who makes that happen, which is just amazing to me. 
The story of Noah and the, cov- and the covenant that God made with him provides us with a model for how God interacts with humans. It tells us that his character will not allow for sin to go on forever, that he punishes sin, and that he provides a rescue through the judgment for those who trust him. We can see the pattern set for judgment of sin um, and then Jesus making a way through for us to come later. Next, we have probably the covenant that you're most familiar with out of all of these, and that is the Abrahamic covenant. So this is the covenant that God makes with Abraham that essentially establishes the nation of Israel, which of course, we are going to follow their story throughout the rest of scripture. So this is the covenant that is the start of God choosing a people to be his own. It's brought up throughout the narrative of Abraham's life, um, sometimes adding details, sometimes being passed on to descendants, and it is unconditional. And we're going to get to that um, in a minute as to why it's unconditional instead of conditional. Because if you remember, a conditional covenant was made between two parties, whereas the unconditional covenant is made just on God's part. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we first encounter this covenant um, beginning. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So here we know that Abraham is not an Israelite, not yet. He is a pagan living in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, and God is calling him to go to an unknown land. Now, I did just call him Abraham, but of course his name at this point is Abram. Sorry about that. I'll try and keep that straight. (laughs) I can't make any promises. Until God changes his name for us finally. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Abram. Abram just doesn't sound as natural as Abraham. I don't know why that is. Okay, so this initial covenant that God makes with Abram results in Abram setting out and his family following him, but then stopping at Haran, Um, except for his nephew Lot, who follows him, which is actually contrary to God's command. This is the first step in a very large number of steps of Abraham half following God's commands and Mm -hmm. God still following through regardless. Yeah, that's okay. Thank you. That's a good pattern to be aware of. All right, next we come to Genesis 12, verse 7. This passage says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. So this is the second point where God comes and reminds Abram again of his promise. And Abram had set out in response to God's call and realized that the land is full of other people. Darn. So God promises to give the land to Abram's offspring. He's kind of reassuring him again, you, your descendants will have this land. And thereby he is also promising, of course, offspring for Abram. The results here are that Abram believed God and he builds an altar to dedicate to God and worship him. So he pauses um, in his journey and takes the time to set up a monument and worship God. Next, we come to Genesis chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 14 through 16, which say, After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving you all this land, as far as you can see, to you and your descendants, as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that, like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. 
So this comes right after Abram has separated from Lot and he sets out onto his own land. And if you remember, this was because of their um, possessions getting all mixed up together and their herdsmen were arguing. And Abram finally says, you know what, we're going to separate here. There are two options for land. Pick which one you want. And Lot obviously picks the better one. So Abraham is left with a not so great one. You can understand why he might need some reassurance from God. So God shows Abram the actual physical land that's included in the covenant, which is one of the first times he actually can see it all. If you look on a map, geographical, topographical map, from this point, you can actually see most of the land that God is describing. And it's a show of faith to bolster Abram. The covenant terms are reiterated. There's an emphasis on land ownership forever, as well as extremely numerous offspring. We now have a, not just, I'll give you some, it's, I'll give you a lot. Um, The results of this is that Abraham goes to scout out the land as God had had commanded, and he builds an altar to the Lord again. Next, we have Genesis chapter 15, verses four through five. These say, then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. This happens once Abram is old enough that he's now questioning his physical ability to have children. And so he has his this servant, Eleazar, um, and that was pretty common back then to adopt a person, like a son, um, to be your son, to take on, to be your heir. And so Abram's saying, well, God promised I would have descendants, but I don't think I can. Does he mean I can have them through Eleazar? And God says, nope, going to be your own. Um, and then reminds him, okay, not just the dust. Now look at the stars. That's how many you're going to have. And this may be slightly less um, amazing if you live in the city and there's light pollution, but if, you ever, if you've ever been in a place where you're, there's no light pollution and you can see like the Milky Way, it looks like it's like a white fog because those are all stars. So this is a very amazing visual reminder for Abram. There is some new information here. Abram's direct heir will be biological, not adopted, and he will have many offspring again. The results of this is that Abram believed God and did not adopt Eleazar. He decides to trust God in this moment and not go on his own strength. We'll see that this doesn't last very long, but it's great in the moment. Okay, now we get to the part where the actual dead animal in half, gruesome, big big covenant (laughs) comes into play. Genesis 15 verses 7 to 20 um, tell the story. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. 
As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Canaanites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. That's a pretty long story. And I think it's one that I've heard so many times that I stop kind of being shocked by it. But there are some very shocking moments in this. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate how Tim Mackey tells the story. And we will probably link his sermon about this passage um, in our show notes as a resource you can check out. But he does a good job um, drawing your attention to some of the strange details in the story. So here we get more details and some different emphasis on this unconditional covenant that God is making with Abram. So we know that the offspring are going to be foreigners, that they will be made slaves, and then they will be set free and they will return to the land that God has promised. And this is almost more about foretelling prophecy than it is a covenant, but it is still a covenant. God seals his covenant with Abram through the killing of animals and promising all of the details. The key thing to note here is that God alone makes the covenant. Abram does not have to pass through the halved animals, despite these covenants typically involving two different parties' commitment. So if Bethany and I were making a covenant, we would have these animals and we would walk through them, um, both of us, as a sign that we are both contributing to this covenant and that if either of us reneges on our promises, we're saying, you know, let what is done to these animals be done unto me. But here, God is the only one who makes the covenant because God knows Abram is not going to perfectly keep the covenant. And he knows that the Israelites are not going to perfectly keep the covenant. So God is putting all of the responsibility for maintaining the covenant on himself. The results here are that Abram um, believes God and the covenant is sealed between him and the Lord. There's so much more that we could go into with this. And yeah, like Emily said, this one sermon by Tim Mackey um, from the Exploring My Strange Bible podcast, um, we're absolutely going to link this for you to find. I highly recommend going to listen to it. Um, it really helps you to see the story, um, not only in its context, but also in a way that is helpful for us to see. Our next passage is Genesis chapter 17, verses 2 through 8, which says... I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell down, fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. 
I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever. And I will be their God. Here we have more new information. Um, The eternal nature of the covenant is emphasized. God is saying, not only am I making this with you and telling you you're going to have descendants, but I will also be the God of your descendants. This covenant will extend to them. Also, nations and kings will come through Abraham. Remember again, he does not yet have a child. The emphasis here is that Abraham will be the father of many nations, not just the one. He has a name change in symbolism for this. The result here is that one, Abraham has more information. Also, he has a new name, Abram to Abraham. Okay, so we are actually going to pause this series here. This is going to be the end of our first episode of this series. We're not entirely sure exactly how many episodes we're going to get out, but come back next week. We're going to finish up the Abrahamic covenant and we're going to get into the Mosaic covenant as well. And if we have time, we will also do the Davidic covenant and the new covenant, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with as well. So we've got a few more covenants to cover yet, um, two Old Testament ones, and then of course the New Testament as well. So you're definitely going to want to return next week for those. For now, we're going to leave you with some recommended resources in the show notes that you can check out. In the meantime, if you want to learn more and do your own research, and we will catch up with you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the Thrive Theology Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a rating or review. For show notes, resources, blog posts, and a complete archive of episodes, visit us at thrivetheology.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Thrive Theology. We'll chat with you next time.